Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. So uh, this week is pretty busy for a lot of individuals. I got Thanksgiving. A lot of you may have participated in a marathon on a Thursday. I call that a food marathon. Eat a whole bunch of food, maybe go to other family members' houses. Uh, I'm blessed because uh, my wife's family, she, they have ham. And I love ham. And they always put the plate of ham right in front of me so I can get a little extra ham. Maybe some of you participate on Friday on a marathon. I like to call uh, shopping. Uh, you get lots of deals, maybe on Amazon or go to uh, the, the outlet stores. Or um, For me, uh, I participate in an actual marathon, so if you see me walking around a little slower uh, or leaning on this podium today, uh, that's probably the reason I'm not uh, fully injured, just uh, a little tired. And you may ask, well, where's Pastor Sean? He's doing his own marathon today, and that is not a running marathon. I think the only way Pastor Sean will participate in a running marathon is if God appeared in a burning bush and told him, go run a marathon. He is not a long-distance runner, he's an athlete, but he's participating in a family marathon, really invested some time with his family, so that's why we have a whole empty row, which is there, but that is where he's at today. He's not sick, he's not injured, he's fully healthy, but he still appreciates your prayers. So it's always a blessing to be part of a church, especially of our size, that we have a pastoral team that can support our pastor and give them time to spend with their family, and not just fill in, because a lot of pastors may take a break. Uh, this message is not a fill-in message, uh, we've talked about this for um, weeks since uh, we know about this. They're really integrated together. Uh, he launched a financial series last week, uh, and that was an awesome message. If you missed it, I'll address it later on, but you need to listen to the podcast. It is uh, one of his best messages, I think, in-depth messages that we can study from. So today, we're going to continue uh, with uh, another part of the financial message. It's called stewardship. The idea of stewardship. Now, if you've been involved with church system long enough, and I'm not saying just here at Kingsway, but of all our church, the idea of stewardship might make you think of a capital campaign where the church is trying to get your money for some big project or where the church is trying to ask for a tithe or whatever. It might make you think of the offering, as uh, Pastor Pat was mentioning, as well as what Pastor Sean mentioned last week. I believe that being a good steward, a biblical steward, that is the whole essence of what stewardship is. A biblical steward is much bigger than whether you tithe, whether you give financially. It is important to do so, but I believe biblical stewardship encompasses so many more areas in our life than just the financial side. So I got a little video to launch us off. What do you think of when you think of the word stewardship? Do you think of saving the rainforest? Do you think of going into debt to build a building for millions of dollars with a capital campaign? Is this really the depth of our understanding and our culture of stewardship? God's Word is really clear on what stewardship is and really what it isn't. It is about God owning it all. And if you don't own it, then you realize you're just a manager. God owns it all. When we get that, it changes us. It changes how we serve. It changes how we give. It changes how we spend our time, how we use our passions, how we approach our health, how we view our relationships, and it changes how we handle our money. It changes our legacy. It changes us when we realize we're managing it all for the glory of God. This is real stewardship. 
the idea of God owning it all goes back to the book of Genesis, one of the verses I've always loved to reference to and enjoyed encouraging young couples, and it's this one. It says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. We find that in Genesis chapter 1. Now this verse continues, but, we're, but we will get to the rest of the passage in a second. But I wanted to stop here. This first part of the scripture, I can't skip over. You see, the first sermon I referenced that I gave, I referenced these scriptures, was about two years ago. And since then, the Lord has blessed uh, Jesse and I with our son Joshua and another baby on the way. Here at Kingsway, I'm not going to take credit for it, but God has also blessed Kingsway with having six newborn babies uh, bought the life here at Kingsway. That does not include the dozens of others that have been uh, attracted to Kingsway. The Lord has drawn them here. This is literally an answer to prayer, and I'll never let Miss Charlene live this down. Uh, but the first few years I was here as a youth leader, transitioned to a youth counselor, to a youth pastor, um, our nursery started becoming barren. You could count on one hand how many uh, children we had in our nurseries. And by the way, our nursery went from zero to kindergarten. Naturally, Miss Charlene has the heart of ministry for children's ministry here at Kingsway. And man, oh man, did the Lord answer her prayer. It's truly a blessing from God and favor on the mission and the vision of our leadership and our pastoral team here at Kingsway. Because remember, between 6,000 and 10,000 churches close their doors every year. That's between 100 and 200 churches every week. But here at Kingsway, God is not just keeping our doors open and our ministry stable, but God is truly blessing and multiplying our ministries and our young families. So going back to the scripture, I want to look a little deeper at the context of this scripture before we move on to the rest of the verse. So in verse 27, God literally created the first human beings. He said, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So let's think of the value that God has in the scripture. He creates the first human beings in verse 27. And the very first command God gives them in verse 28 was, be fruitful and multiply. It was important. It was so important that God could not even wait to the end of the day to give his very first command. Now Genesis 1 is two chapters before the third chapter in Genesis. If you're familiar with the Bible, the third chapter of Genesis is not a very good chapter for the human race. You see, in this chapter, the very first human couple, Adam and Eve, decide to sin against and become disobedient in the second of God's commands by eating the fruit from the tree of good and evil. Uh, as a result of their disobedience, sin entered into the human race, which resulted in a death penalty on all of creation. And as a result of their first sin, says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, Adam sinned brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. This created in Adam and all of his descendants, down to us, a sinful nature. This sinful nature is like chains, chains that are unbroken. Because of sin, we are shackled up. There is no freedom in our sinful nature. And Jesus said we must be born again to be broken free from this bondage. Being born again takes radical change. Keep this in mind, because I'm going to return to this breaking of the chains and uh, staying away from the bondage later on in the message. So that means Genesis 1.28 is not just God's very first command to the human race, but also the only command that is still in existence before sin entered the world. So let's continue with the second part of Genesis 1.28. 
it says, uh, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern over it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. That's all from Genesis uh, 1, chapter, or verses 28 to 30. We read words in here like govern over and reign. Some scriptures state that we should have subdue it and have dominion over creation. These are words of command or authority. So God has given us the ability to lead or take control of his creation. We keep reading and it states how the Lord has given you every seed-bearing plant, verse 30. I've given every seed plant. Why would God give us humans anything, we may ask? It's because he values us. There is no other creature, no other insect, no other bird or a fish or mammal, no other physical feature like the mountains or the rivers or the ocean that has been given the direct authority from God to fill the earth and govern it, reign over it. You see, God sees you as such a unique part of his creation that he has entrusted you to be a good manager over his creation. And as a manager, you have to be, you've been given the authority to manage someone else's resources. We are to manage God's blessings in our life. Now you may be saying, wait, Pastor Chris, I don't believe God has blessed me at this moment. God's not blessed me with that winning lottery ticket. He's not blessed me with a healing or a cure to my disease. God has not blessed my family or our prayers for family members to change or to repent. This all may be true, but it does not mean God has not blessed you today. So the question I'm going to ask is, what is a blessing? We have to define what a blessing is so we're not mistaken. You see, we just had Thanksgiving. I'm not sure if this is a tradition at your house. Uh, it is at many. But as you gather as a family together, before you eat, you may go around the table and share um, something that you are thankful for. Many times they may say, God has blessed me with a wonderful family. Friends, God has blessed me with a bonus at work or with great relationships. Maybe none of that is true in your life today. Either or, I would define a blessing simply as receiving something that we do not have ownership of. That is a blessing. So let's check this out. Very simple interaction here. Uh, are you currently breathing? Pretty, pretty simple answer there. If you're not, you need to let us know. We can call the hospital, because uh, that's probably where we should take you. Um, but if you're currently breathing, keep doing so. I want you to think, how did I get that breath? Was it a result of giving something that you owned? No. Breath comes from the Lord. So that's a blessing. What about our feeling? We can go around and touch things or objects or different surfaces. I'm always amazed as we see all the toddlers running around, uh, all the babies and, and children now. They're touching every object they see and feeling it. Maybe smelling something, or they could be tasting something. Did they somehow do something to deserve that ability to feel, to smell, or to taste? The answer is no. So those things in their life are blessings if you're able uh, to do that. How about our sight? Uh, did we buy our sight with something we owned? Well, yes, Pastor Chris. 
I bought these glasses or these contacts with the money I earned working. Yes, I paid for the surgery to restore my sight with my salary. Well, let's look at that now. Many of you work very hard. Some of you at the point of retirement where you no longer, where you've been faithful in your careers and you're no longer at the point of working as hard. Either way, I personally understand the value of hard work. At the age of 13, I started a lawn care business with a friend. We worked very hard, and by the age of 15, I was running the operations by myself. I worked so hard the next few years, I started to hire uh, my teammates, and eventually senior year, it attracted my dad to join the business full-time, and we've been growing it ever since. Another area that I've worked hard in has been athletics. All through high school and college, uh, I participated in long-distance running, as I mentioned earlier, uh, cross-country and track. I worked very hard and put a lot of personal effort in to achieve success. But remember, uh, a blessing I define as receiving something that we do not have ownership of. For a long time, I would not have said I was blessed in these areas. I thought if I put in the effort, the time and the focus would be something I owned. I could own that. I had ownership of those results, whether that was the financial earnings in my, uh, my working life or the trophies and the medals from athletics. It was a result of my own hard work. I, know, I now know I was wrong with that thinking. I no longer think that way. Now when I had success in business or in athletics, I no longer claim that it was solely due to the results of my own effort. So what changed? Well, I went back to scripture. We have in Psalms, uh, chapter 139, 13 to 14. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, and because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made, your works are wonderful. I know this very well. Even before you were born, God started to create in you, or in us, the ability to be who we are today. God knew how to develop you, how tall you'd become, how many hairs are on your head, uh, besides our physical aspects, God has created us uniquely with desires and our passions. When managed correctly, it gives us the ability to transform those skills and talents. And as a result, will be our success in our careers, success in our families, success in every area of our life. So without God giving us these blessings in the first place, we could never have developed them into the jobs we feel today. There's a little financial term that is known as ROI which stands for return on investment. God expressed to us in Matthew chapter 25 with the parable of the talents that God expects a return on his investment. The return in this sense is basically the benefit that results from God instructing us with his investment. In our financial realm, that is our salary or our wages. In other areas, that could be our extra time or in our schedule or the time we spend with family and friends. How we manage our physical health and how does that look? It's a, uh, a simple flow chart, I would call in business. So God owns it all. I think I established that. Uh, God uh, gave us the blessings in the beginning. And from that, we have our management. We are called to manage those blessings, whether that's financial or talents or abilities. Uh, and it is a privilege to, uh, to manage that for God. And as a result, our response should be gratitude and faithfulness. So i got a couple of scriptures i like to reference to. We got uh, remember we are God's managers. First Corinthians chapter four, verses one to two. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. 
We're at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. I read that, right? Yeah, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. It's so important for us to be faithful in our stewardship. Another one is 1 Peter verses 4, chapter 4, 9 to 11. Be hospitable to one another without complaining, based on the gifts each one has received. Use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. It should be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Christ Jesus in everything. To him belong the glory, the power, forever and ever. Amen. So we are receiving the blessings from God. We're supposed to serve others and, and be good managers. Uh, and God provides all that, provides that strength. But most importantly, the last part is it's got the smallest section, uh, which is just logistics. But it's for the glory of God. That's why we do it all in Christ himself. Uh, it's not so we get a, a bigger car, a bigger house. Being faithful to God is most important. So we are God's managers. So the question I have to propose is, how are you handling God's blessings in your life? How are you handling God's blessings his way for his glory? Ultimately, the goal of any Christian should be to bring glory to God, our creator. This idea of handling blessings God's way is very important to understand. Some may compare the way we live our lives with the way our parents lived their lives or taught them, or what feels right. Some may make decisions about our life based on how the culture tells us to react, how one should handle our health, how one should handle our free time, how we should spend our money. Literally, Marketing 101 in business is designed to convince you to think the way the company wants you to think. But are we handling those decisions the way God wants us to handle them? The only way to determine that is to go to God's word, give us clarity in how to handle God's blessings, his way, and for his glory. When we watched the video in the very beginning, it was talking about once we acknowledge that God is the owner, and we are his managers, it changes the way we think. It changes the way we see things. It changes how we serve. It changes how we give. It changes the way we spend our time, how we use our passions, how we approach our health, and how we view our relationships, and how we handle our money. There are several areas that make up being a good steward and a good manager in our life. Each one of these, we can ask, how can we do a better job? Even if you're doing an awesome job, you can always do better. These areas include our health. Surely, each one of us can protect our health better with proper diet or exercise. Because uh, the longer we're here, the longer we have a chance to reach those who need to hear the good news. After all, God gave us a temple. That's our body to glorify him. We also have time. Colossians 4 verse 5 says, Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. If you have not figured this out by now, our time is the most precious gift we are given. Once it is gone, we cannot get it back. We are also called to be good stewards in our parenting and our family. Uh, the very famous scripture that everyone references is uh, Proverbs verse 22, or chapter 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Children are a blessing from the Lord. So are you handling God's blessings his way and for his glory? Each one of these topics we could, on stewardship, we could develop into its own sermon. In fact, we had development within our pastor's team to speak on one of these areas. And I was supposed to speak on it, but uh, God said it wasn't the timing. It wasn't yet to be done. And the reason is very simple. How would I know that? Because God turned the water off the whole community. And we had the cancer service that week. But don't worry. When God wants to open this door again, 
and allow me to speak in this area, I'll be ready to, to go. But there's one area of stewardship that I'm much more passionate about and something that I'm very much involved with, and that is the financial part. Have you ever heard the statement? I've heard it several times. All the church wants is my money. Many people today outside the church, sometimes inside the church, may believe this. Other statements that are similar is I don't want to go to church because when I go, they want me to empty my pockets. They make me feel guilty if I don't donate. Another one. For once, I'd like to be, uh, see a church where they, did, they don't ask for money as soon as I walk in the door. Why do church keep asking for money all the time? Frankly, it turns me off, and I think it does a lot to other people, too. It's just one scandal after another. Now, these are real quotes. These are real people, real thoughts. You see, this shows the misunderstanding on what the Bible says about the relationship between the church and money. The 2,000-plus references in the scriptures on finances, and when we view them correctly, it will allow us to refocus on what biblical stewardship truly is. God gives us finances, and we are to manage it for his glory. When we don't, it makes it feel like we are shackled up. Pastor Sean mentioned last week when referencing to sin, and he said, you move into sin, you start to be in bondage with it. I'm not saying poor stewardship in our finances is necessarily a sin, but the feeling of being in bondage or shackled is a real thing, especially for these couple months, from November to December into January, as we go into the busiest and the most expensive time of the year. Does anyone ever feel this way? A lack of financial peace. Maybe no matter what you do, you can never get ahead on your bills, or the last word you associate with the word budget is freedom. For some, personal finance is as entertaining as watching paint dry. I was going to make a joke there, but uh, Jesse doesn't like all my dad jokes, so I'll just keep going. But I stand here as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus Christ, to redeem biblical stewardship, to bring back the idea of when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. This includes freedom in our finances. I believe there is true freedom in the areas of our life when we submit to the Lord and follow his instructions found in the scriptures. With this in mind, we go to the next scripture. is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we, we, love, to, we love to uh, we sing this verse, we, we read this verse, and it's one of the best verses around. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I always like to remind Christians to never forget where you came from. Never forget our spiritual journeys, what the Lord has done in our lives. You may sing songs today about freedom and Christ setting us free. You may raise your hands, as I do, as a symbol that I am no longer in bondage, but I am free to surrender to God. If we submit to Jesus as Lord and surrender to him, the scripture will call us disciples of Christ. But do you remember your conversion story? Do you remember the time that Jesus was not the center of your life? I think we sang a song about that today, the center of it all. Do you remember, or for some of us, that time may have been decades ago, or it could have been just this year. For me, it's been about 10 years. Now, I've been going to church for much longer than this time, but as a child or as a teenager, church was part of my life, but it was not at the center of my life. Jesus was just a character that we talked about at Christmas and Easter, and Sunday services had no effect on my life for the rest of the week. Later on, I got invited to a youth group right here at Kingsway and started attending regularly, going to weekend retreats and summer camp, and my interest in God started to grow. 
Maybe I should take this Christianity thing a little more seriously. So the next year and a half, I tried to be more religious. I enjoyed worship music and tried to be more Christian-like. The problem was, the more I tried, I felt like my behavior and my language and my thoughts just kept getting worse and worse. It felt like somehow I was being tied down, I was in bondage, and no longer, no matter what I did, sinful actions or thoughts always was a result. My life kind of looked like this. From John chapter 8, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. That was it. The Lord opened my blind eyes, and now I could see that I was in bondage to my sinful nature. This bondage took away my freedom and affected every thought, every desire of my life. No matter what I tried on my own, I could not truly be good. I needed to be set free. The scripture calls this being born again. We were born once naturally into our sinful nature as a result of Adam's first sin. And since then, we have been sinning because the scripture states how we all have sinned and fallen short of the glorious standard God has. Coming to Jesus for forgiveness of our sins and being born again from the power of the Spirit of God is the only way to break those chains and enter into the family of God. The verse continues, though. It says, So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. This is what Christianity is about. Jesus is the Son of God and came to seek and save that which was lost. That was us. That was me. He came to forgive those who'd come to him and truly break the chains of bondage we have with our sinful nature. Remember, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So what does that have anything to do with finances? Well, it might be a stretch, but I'm going to stretch a little more. If the Spirit of the Lord is freedom, and where the Spirit of the Lord there is freedom, or there will be freedom, then my question would be, do you have freedom in your personal finances? If not, the next basic question would be obvious to me. Have you welcomed the Spirit of the Lord into our finances, or are you just trying to figure it out yourself? The best way for me to present this type of freedom, or lack of freedom, is to express my personal stories in uh, finances. So for Jesse and I, uh, we graduated college in 2013, and we were engaged to be married the following January. Entering into our marriage, we were truly shackled down by debt. At the time, we both had student loans. We recently purchased Jesse's vehicle, and I had a personal loan to help cover the honeymoon to Jamaica. All in total, when compared to our income, we had approximately 18 to 24 months worth of debt. The media, or society, will call this a student loan crisis and give many opinions on what, what should be done. I'm just going to call it poor stewardship or poor understanding of how to handle God's blessings in our life for his glory uh, in his way. So we progressed through the first few years of marriage, working hard at multiple jobs, serving in ministry, but it still felt like our wheels were spinning financially. We started earning better incomes, but it never seemed for us to get ahead. There always seemed to be more months left over at the end of the money. Not to help this situation, but our stewardship and our wallets were being squeezed by debt. Like many living in America, we were average. On average, in America, 88% of households are currently in consumer debt. This includes auto loans, which are now totaled to be $1.2 trillion. That's up 70% since the recession of 2010. Student loans have ballooned to reach $1.3 trillion. Total credit card debt 
is now 784 billion, and that figure is from last year of August, August 2017. So they most definitely have gone up. Americans owe more than 26% of their annual income to this debt. Clearly, I knew something was wrong. If Jesus came to set me free from my sin, then he surely should be able to have the wisdom in how to be a good steward with our money. So I started turning to what the scriptures talk about and see what God has to say about money. And I found a couple. If you start seeking, the Lord's going to start revealing. If you're not looking for it, Lord's going to reveal sometimes. Anyway. So we got Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is enslaved to the lender. This makes a lot of sense. The bondage I was feeling in my finances is just like the bondage I mentioned earlier with sin. Being enslaved by the lender for us meant that our income grew, but we could not enjoy it. Or at least if we attempted to enjoy it, our increased income, there was still a cloud of debt that required continuous feeding. We could get income in, and a lot of that already had a destination to go out. That destination was to pay for something, not in our future, but in our past. That's what debt is, paying for something you already bought or experienced in the past. I realized this a few years into our auto loan when I started looking at the numbers. You see, I enjoy numbers, so it was fun to look at until I started adding up all the payments. And the original cost was going into the debt to buy the Jesse's car. And I saw that we were paying three to $4,000 in addition to what the car cost at the beginning. And that really didn't sit very well with me. This was not something that I saw the bank being immoral, unethical. After all, they lent thousands of dollars so we could sign a paper and walk away with a vehicle. So they deserve a return of their investment. The only type of interest, we would call that interest what we paid, the only type of interest I enjoyed is the type when the bank, put money in the bank and you get it back. If you are paying interest, I like to call that stupid tax. You see, when we make a bad decision financially and it costs you, I would call that stupid tax. Anyway, that is what leads me to the next scripture, which is in, in hunting season. So if you are a hunter or a family hunter, uh, this is, might make a lot of sense. It's Proverbs 6, verse 7. It says, Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. To put Proverbs 6 in context, in my Bible, you know, they give little titles for each paragraph or chapter or section. Mine was warnings against financial entanglements. Seemed a little bit like in bondage. This scripture is describing exactly what we need to do to escape this type of entanglement. Imagine yourself as a gazelle or as a deer in, in our uh, neck of the woods, I think they're called, and being hunted. If you're being hunted, you want to flee from that hunter. You hear a noise in the woods and the deers bolt off. And that's how we should be with debt. We hear lenders coming our way or we may have someone hunting us. That could be our debt. We should want to be free from that. And this is where we start having to have a new attitude towards our debt. We didn't just pay the minimum. We were aggressively against getting rid of those loans, aggressively trying to get back freedom. Because the scripture says, flee from that. And we start living in life by this motto. Live like no one else, so later we can live and give like no one else. So that involves sacrifice, big time. We can't just expect to sacrifice like a coffee a day or coffee a week and cover the big mountain of debt. That could include sacrificing our lifestyle, not being able to enjoy all the fun that colleagues or friends are having. 
It also could be personal desires. Maybe you would like to compete for me in, in more races or have a, a fancier car. I, mean, I have a vehicle that is, at one point, I always joke about it, but there's only one place I know where Pastor Sean prays more when I'm taking him on a drive. He pray a lot here. We do a lot of praying, but my vehicle is very special. But I'm sacrificing having a better car. Or sometimes this sacrifice can be work. When, we, uh, when we're in debt, the best place to go is to work. And I've worked 50, 60 hours continuously, sometimes up to 80 on some, uh, some weeks. And that may seem, wow, that's, that's a big sacrifice. But as it says, I'm living like no one else. So later, not just I can live like no one else, but I can give. Because during this time when you're in debt, it is the idea of contentment. How to handle God's blessings, his way, and for his glory. Now you see, 2019 is going to be a big year for Jesse and I. We're going to celebrate our five years in January, which is a big milestone. Many of you have extra digits on those five years, 25, 35, 55 for some. But we should celebrate marriages in the church and celebrate the idea of being faithful because the word does not celebrate that anymore. So that's going to be that year. Later in the spring, we'll have our next baby with God's blessing, which will be wonderful. At the end of 2019, Jesse will graduate from grad school with a specialty in special ed for uh, teaching. She has a heart for that. But there's another big milestone we're going to achieve. That we're going to be debt-free. The idea that we went from beginning of the marriage, we can clap for that. The idea of being entangled by debt in the beginning of our marriage, it could last for decades. But being intentional and living like no one else and following the biblical principles allows us to, uh, to achieve that accomplishment. Now, during this time, uh, we have always been faithful with our tithe. I want to suggest cutting the tithe out and, and paying to the boys the debt. Pastor Sean gave an awesome message. Like I mentioned, if you listen back to last week, take some notes. It's not going to be one you can listen to and enjoy and feel good. You need to take notes because he went deep, a lot deeper than Pastor Sean normally goes. But it is true biblical teaching. We had a, a faithful Christian who talked in the afterwards and says, they've been listening to sermons 30, 40 years, and this was the most in-depth tithing message. That's talking about the 10%. Biblical stewardship is talking about the 90% that's left over. Are we faithful with that? Because if we just gave God our tithe and we were spending it everywhere else going super debt, I don't think we're following the guidelines God has for us. So I, we've been faithful with our tithe, but one burden for me, we had an awesome project here, the roofing project, and uh, I would be very clear, me and Jesse did not participate because we were so entangled in debt. Now, living like no one else, so later you can not be entangled by that debt, so you can give when a missionary comes up here and preaches about how they're reaching people in China, in India. We've had many missionaries here, but if we were shackled by debt, you cannot answer God's call in your life. Imagine if God called us into the mission field with two years' worth of debt. It is very difficult to follow God's calling when we were being shackled, whether that by sin or by debt. Now, Pastor Sean mentioned tithing, and I'm going to mention a small part of this because I find it rather interesting. All the scriptures you find about tithing are in the Old Testament, which he gave uh, pretty in-depth. It may think, wow, 10% is a lot. I found three tithes in the Old Testament. I'll let Pastor Sean elaborate more later. But in Leviticus, you find the Levitical tithe. That's 10% every year. You find that in Leviticus chapter 27. There's also a festival tithe, which was the additional 10% every year. And then there's also a charitable tithe or community tithe, which is 10% every three years. So if you add all, that all up, God's people in the Old Testament were required to give 23.33%. That seems a little bit more than our 10%. But as Christians, we have, we have adopted the, the system of, uh, we've been faithful with it for a long time. 
give him 10%. And I encourage you to challenge you on that because it is truly a blessing. Like I said, I'd rather trust myself with 90% uh, or trust God with 90% than trust myself with 100 and That's what tithing is. But for more details, definitely go back to Pastor Sean's message. Now we are talking about living like no one else, so later we can give like no one else. And it reminded me of the next scripture we have from Hebrews. It's chapter 12. It says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who have been trained by it. I just spent a good four months training for this marathon yesterday. There was many days I woke up super early. In fact, when Pastor Sean heard the hour I woke up, he was, he was quite concerned and had to talk with me. But I wake up lose lack of sleep or go out when it's too cold. To overcome this took self-discipline. As a result of being faithful in my training, I ran a race even faster than I was expecting. The discipline in our financials is a famous word called the budget. What? Pastor Chris, you may be saying, I have no peace in my budget. And definitely does not produce freedom. For many, a budget seems to be too restrictive or too painful. Or a budget is, well, flexible. But as the scripture says, any discipline that includes self-discipline in our budget process will be painful. In fact, this past week, we spent a good part of our pastor's meeting discussing the pain for decisions in budgeting, including Christmas shopping and spending. But without discipline, it would never result in peace or freedom. And uh, another saying, uh, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Many of us may say, I live on a budget, but let's redefine what a budget actually is. If you are going through your bank statements or your credit card statements and seeing what you spent that month, that is not a budget. That is called an expense report. A budget is intentionally telling your money where to go. And there is freedom in that. When we set our budget, we know we have enough money to spend on what's important. And that will leave me with this last story. Uh, it's more of a time management story, but it applies to our finances as well. Too far. It's called the rocks, pebbles, and sand story. You see, there's two people or two lives. There's a bottle on the left and a bottle on the right. As you see, the left bottle or vase, whatever you like to call that, all the objects didn't fit. There's rocks outside. To the right, everything fit inside that glass vase. The rocks are truly the important things, such as our family, health, or relationships. So as you see, if you, on the left, you put sand in first, and then pebbles, and then rocks, you may not fit the important things. The pebbles are the other things that matter in our life. They could be things that help us in our relationships, but not necessarily needs. In financial realm, the rocks represents those things that are in need. And I find in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his own, that is his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That means take care of those important things in our life. So what are those important things? I would start with the, the big four. The big four, I would say, are food, shelter, transportation, and utilities. These are the basics. If we cannot cover these, most of the time it's because our priorities are out of line. In this picture that like I was mentioning, if you put the rocks in first, the food, and that doesn't mean a restaurant, the Ruth Crisps, or, or go to uh, Costa's for steamed crabs every night, but the, the basics. We put those first, as well as our shelter. You need a house. You need, you need a uh, a rental or wherever you're at, or transportation. That's not the fancy Lamborghini or stretch limo, but basic transportation. And our utilities, if you cannot provide for water and lights, that is our top priority. And in budgeting, we should do that first. 
Included with these four, I'll also include the tithe. As I mentioned before, as a value as Christians, if you submit to that, that is an awesome thing to put first. If you wait to the end, I guarantee you your rocks are going to be left out. You may not have a car payment. You may not have enough to give to God. I like to give to God first. That way I know I've entrusted him with that. After that, you can fit those, the pebbles, which I said are not as important, but they matter in your life. And then our wants would be the sand. And if we do it properly, it's all about priorities. Biblical stewardship is about our priorities. Are we putting God first in every area of our life? As I mentioned in the beginning, stewardship is not just financial. Stewardship is, is the realm of our entire life. But if we can set God first in our finances, then every other area in our life is affected by that. If you're married, it makes a decision, are you going to go away for the holidays? Are you going to buy gifts for your, your in-laws or those families? Finances matter because 50% of the divorces in America are directly related to poor finances. We value marriage here at Kingsville. We value relationships because God values that. In the beginning, he blessed Adam and Eve, and he can bless us too. And I want you to reflect. This isn't necessarily a message where you may feel called to the altar. If you are, awesome. I'll, I'll pray with you. But the question I'll leave you with is, are you handling God's blessings his way? Or how are you handling his blessings? We all have a choice. We can be intentional with those blessings, or we can just hope it works out. I believe the Bible says we should be intentional. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.